Today's gospel talks about relationship, and I have a little story about relationship. There was a Christian guy named Bill, and he had a horse, and he loved that horse. The two of them had a great relationship through the years. Sadly, one day he passed away. As time went by, Bill wanted another horse. So lo and behold, one day he's looking at the ads, and he sees Christian horse for sale. So he went and checked it out. And the horse's owner said to Bill, look, it's real easy to ride him. When you want him to go, just say, praise the Lord. And when you want him to stop, say, amen. So Bill got on, praised the Lord. The the horse started moving along at a slow little trot. Praise the Lord. Now he goes a little faster. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The horse is in a full gallop. And Bill's not really paying attention to what's going on, but just in time, he sees they're about to both go over a cliff. So he shouts at the top of his lungs, Amen! And the horse stops right at the edge of the cliff. Says Bill, praise the Lord. (laughs) Last week, Father Tom spoke to us about relationships and how the fact that even though the Church of the Messiah is a very diverse community, we all get along so well. And the reason is love, love and respect that we have for one another. Because we all have relationships, not just in this church, but also outside of the Messiah family. And like any families, from time to time, things can happen. And it can happen with also relationships out here. Like I said, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, a family member, where something happens, something said, and the relationship kind of goes sour. Relationships are very important to God, and the fact that you're here in this building to worship God this morning, or watching us and worshiping on the internet, means you already know this to be true. And God doesn't only care about relationships with him, very important, obviously, but he also cares about our relationships with one another. And in today's gospel, Jesus is teaching us the steps we have to take when the relationship goes sour. And that's one of the many things I love about the Bible is that there's a lot of lessons in here that if you pay attention will make your life a whole lot easier. Before we go over the steps that Jesus teaches on this conflict resolution, the Christian way, We have to reflect on Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul points out that all obligations and relationships are summed up in one single commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I suggest that we all do an examination of conscience on love for our neighbor today and every day on what that means. It's easy to have love when it's all well in the relationship, but what happens when a brother or a sister says something to you and a sharp disagreement begins. So how do we maintain the lines of communication open so we can promote healing and unity within Christ's kingdom here on earth? Today's reading from the Gospel of Matthew is part of a larger teaching on what it's like or how you should live in the kingdom of God. Remember, when we were back in chapter 13, Matthew was giving us examples through parables of what the kingdom of God was like. Remember the wheat and the weeds, the pearl, there are many others. 
in this passage, we already, he gave us examples of what the kingdom was like. Now he's giving us examples of how to live together in peace in that kingdom. So let's go over the steps. Somebody wrongs you, says something to you, does something to you, and you feel wronged. Well, the first step Jesus says to do is start by addressing the one who hurt you face to face. Whenever someone wrongs you, go immediately to them and tell them what it is that is bothering you. Don't do it through a third party. That's called triangulation. It's as though somebody, I did something to you, but you don't come to me. You go to Father Tom. Now there's three of us involved in this triangle, and that's not a good way to resolve anything. Beloved of God, these instructions can be hard to follow, and it's painful to hear someone say, you have wronged me. It is often painful even to look at someone in the eye and say, you have wronged me. Many of us are very conflict adverse. We don't like conflict. We don't like to face people and tell them that they're wrong or they've hurt us. We rather go around the issue, avoid talking about it, maybe rolling our lies, maybe leaving some passive aggressive notes anonymously and the person hoping that the person gets the hint. But that just has a stew in our resentment even more until it becomes insufferable, until it boils over in some spectacular way. But Jesus is telling us how Christians ought to behave. We should be honest, forthright, direct. Being direct isn't the same thing as being rude or harsh, though it may feel that way when you're talking to someone face-to-face, telling them that they wrong you. Being direct means standing behind what you say, not relying on those anonymous, passive-aggressive little notes to get what you want. Being direct means addressing a disagreement face-to-face and looking the person in the eye. As Christians, we are called to address disagreements in this way, directly and honestly. But before we can even go to the one who has hurt us, Christ encourages us to do a little soul-searching to recognize our own part in the conflict. Earlier in chapter 18, Jesus tells Cut off any part of your body that would cause you to sin. To do that, we have to recognize our own sinfulness. So before we can address sin in another, Jesus calls to look at ourselves. And answering a few questions can help us gain a clearer understanding and avoid overreacting and move us towards wholeness. The first questions we should ask ourselves is, can I let this go? Can I forgive? Is this offense so minor that I can honestly let it go and I don't have a reason to confront the other person? Then there's no reason to create conflict where it doesn't already exist except in our own minds. But if you know this is going to keep bothering you, it's going to keep eating at you, then it's time to ask another question. What might the other person think I have done to contribute to the problem. Taking time to see things from the other person's viewpoint can help us recognize what that we need to take responsibility and what we need to take responsibility for before 
we go and confront them. And also asking, most importantly, through prayer, what does God see in this? And this gives us a broader perspective, a broader view, and helps us more objectively look at the problem and prevent us from allowing anger and fear to cloud our vision towards the resolution. We may discover that the problem we have really is with us, with ourselves, and we can avoid causing distress in others, in the church, and in the community, because that will not lead to healing. But that self-examination shows us that another really has hurt us, and allowing that wound to fester will not lead to healing. So if you know you can't forgive, you can't forget, then I have to go and get up and go to the one who has hurt me and tell that person what is wrong. The purpose of this step is not to get even or even express anger. Don't get in that person's face and start yelling and shouting at them. No, the purpose is to resolve the conflict, to bring back healing and that love for our neighbor that Paul talks about. As I work to understand the other person's viewpoint, the goal is for us to work together to come up with solutions. But if this approach does not work, the person's not listening, the person doesn't want to resolve the conflict, Jesus tells us to go to step two, which is to bring along a witness. This witness can act as a mediator, an advocate, because sometimes when two people cannot agree, then it's good to sometimes bring in some help. An advocate or a witness that can offer another viewpoint and may be able to point out the possibilities to the two parties in conflict, how to resolve it, to bring them attention to something that they're not able to see. Notice that these other people are supposed to be witnesses, that is, neutral third parties. It's not about getting together a gang of your friends, a gang of people who agree with you to bully the other person into submission. That's not what it's about. But if even with witnesses, the person will not go and resolve the conflict, is not willing to forgive you and you forgive them, then you have to go to a larger resource. If it happens within the church, the entire church. If it's in the community, in your family, perhaps more members of your family. But if we follow Christ's teachings with integrity, no conflict should ever come to this last resort. Jesus encouraged us to solve the problem as simply and as directly as possible before it becomes a full-blown crisis. Resolution and agreement reflect the heavenly idea of unity in the community. It reflects living in the kingdom of God. And Christ promises to be with us as we seek to resolve these conflicts with one another. Christ is present among us as we work out what it means to live in the kingdom of God, loving one another in Christ's name, seeking each other's good, showing the world what it means to live in peace to be a good example. So if those witnesses aren't enough to bring reconciliation, even the whole church, the whole community, then 
Jesus says, let such as one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Because remember, Gentiles and tax collectors did not get along with the Jews. The Jews looked down, especially tax collectors, because especially Matthew. He was a Jew, but he worked for the Romans. And the disciples hearing this are thinking, well, okay, so if the person is really just being obstinate and stubborn, then we throw them out. We throw them out of the community. We throw them out of the church. We excommunicate them. But think about it. That was not Christ's practice. His practice was to include both Gentiles and tax collectors among his followers. Matthew being a perfect example. Others were like the way he treated the Samaritan woman at the well, or Zacchaeus. When we cannot reconcile with another believer, Jesus encourages us to treat that person as an outcast, but not as an outcast like kicking them out, never talking to them again. I don't think he's asking us to shun these people, especially the ones who don't agree with us. I think he's asking us to spend even more energy and more time on drawing them into God's love and forgiveness, entering into intentional community with them, engaging them in ongoing discipleship. And sometimes that requires, actually all the time that requires, that we allow God to work in our hearts. So even in the most extreme case, when someone is removed or has removed themselves from your life, from your community, they're still always the possibility of reconciliation, the opportunity for that person to come back into the community, into the church, into one's life. In Matthew 18, Jesus is telling Christians how we should treat one another, especially in the face of conflict and wrongdoing. And in today's society, with so many different outlooks on politics and everything, it's more important than ever. The verses we heard from Romans express a similar sentiment. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As I said earlier, being direct isn't the same as being mean. And likewise, but likewise, love does not mean extreme niceness. Loving one another doesn't mean avoiding conflict when someone does something to you or says something to you that you don't agree with. But loving our neighbor requires us to be honest and forthright. And sometimes it requires addressing disagreements. Paul goes on to say, Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in any day. Live honorably as in the day. Let us live our lives in a way that is honest and forthright, is what he's saying. No complaining behind someone's back, no gossiping, no bullying, no anonymous complaints, no passive-aggressive notes. We should live with integrity and consistency, willing to speak the truth and stand by what we say. To me, this is the core of the readings we heard today. We shouldn't act and speak one way in private and another way in public. We shouldn't act friendly to someone while disparaging him or her behind 
his or her back. We shouldn't offer anonymous criticism when we aren't willing to say it directly to someone's face. Living this way, living honorably, as Paul says, is not easy. And we, I, sometimes we fall short of it. But we should still aim for this standard. We should strive to behave in this way, not only because Jesus tells us to, although, boy, that's as good a reason as any, and probably the best, but also because of what Jesus says at the end of today's gospel reading. When two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus tells us that we should behave as Christians, and he tells us that he's always present with us. Whenever two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. Whenever two or three are gathered, or we are gathered, Jesus is here with us. Just think, if we take this promise seriously, the implications on how we behave are tremendous. Knowing that Jesus is right here next to you, you're likely to behave a little better. So, like I said, when two and Jesus says, when two or three or people are gathered, Jesus is there. When you stand face to face with that person who has wronged you and you look him in the eye, Jesus is right there with you. Christ is present with us. Thanks be to God. And yes, Christ is present with us. So we really ought to act like it. We are called to a higher standard of behavior as Christians. It's not easy, but Christ is present with us to help us. When we try, Christ is present. When we fail, Christ is present. And when we succeed, even a little bit, Christ is present. When two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he is there among them. So let's try to live like it. Because the bottom line is this, as I said in the beginning, God really cares about relationships. He cares about how we treat one another. God wants us to live in his kingdom in harmony with one another. No matter what color, what race, what language you speak, what you look like, he wants us to live together in harmony so that others may be drawn into this abundant life by our example making disciples of people to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And may we all here today be such disciples. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who teaches us how to stay and work together so we can better share your love and healing with others. In Jesus' name, amen.